0: Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow his will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Tonight, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I came across a an article <clears throat> and it was about the pilgrims and kind of their Uh, journey uh, to America and kind of some of the things that went through so uh, I think to have their perspective to have the pilgrims perspective uh, is um, an excellent perspective anybody agree with that? (laughs) Hopefully you'll see why. Hopefully you already know why but uh, I I think because again it was the beginning of the greatest nation uh, that the world has has seen and, and I believe known uh, the most uh, missionary-sending, the most evangelistic the world has ever uh, had, the most prosperous, the most innovative. Again, we look at what the pilgrims had when they came here, and then what we have today. I think what they started with, their perspective, was an excellent perspective. And so I would say they had a right perspective. Uh, so as we look at this, this Thanksgiving week, we think about um, all of these things. I, I hope that we'll strive to remember what they had uh, the perspective they had, embrace it ourselves, and kind of move forward in that. So I, I want to read this article to you, and, uh, and then we'll get into the message. But it says, on November 9th, not, uh, not 19, 1620, 66 days after their departure, land was sighted off of what is now called Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, the pilgrims had, and I want you to notice this word, intended to sail to the northern parts of Virginia— but they soon realized that they had been blown off course by the storms. Their attempts to correct their course and to sail south were hindered by dangerous shoals or sandbars along the coast. Interpreting this as the hand of God, guiding them to stay where they were, the pilgrims landed at Cape Cod on the town tip, praising God for their safe deliverance to the new world. And when the pilgrims discovered that they were not Virginia and therefore technically not under, under any government's jurisdiction, Some of the strangers, which were non-pilgrims, among the group began whispering about the possibility of striking out on their own. That would have been disastrous for everybody. The pilgrims had carefully chosen each man, including the strangers, those non-pilgrims among them, for his unique skills. Each was absolutely essential for the survival of the colony. So the pilgrims decided to bind their community together by drafting a self-governing document even before they had disembarked the ship. This document was destined to change the course of history. The pilgrims wanted to submit themselves to civil government that would mirror their early congregations' spiritual covenant. Let me say that again. They wanted to submit themselves to civil government that would mirror their early congregations' spiritual covenant. Only copies of their civil covenant have survived. This document, committed the entire colony to God and to each other for the good and the uh, preservation of them all. Their agreement for self-government was called the Mayflower Compact. It was signed on November 11, 1620, before the travelers ever left their ship. This document was destined to become the cornerstone for the American Constitution. The Mayflower Compact begins by recognizing God, who had been leading them all along, when the pilgrims had for, uh, formulated a God-based government for themselves, listen to this, they were ready to disembark and begin building a colony from which they, would, from which they could evangelize the new world. Do you hear that? They had this covenant, they had this commitment, they had this, and, and they said, you know what, we're ready now to go and build this colony from which we could go and, and evangelize the new world. So in the spring of 1621, after barely surviving their first winter Uh, It was long and severe. God sent the weary settlers an Indian named Squanto who could speak their own language. Squanto offered to teach the pilgrims how to survive in this strange new land. God had perfectly prepared this Indian to be a helper for the settlers. The pilgrims knew the value of Squanto's assistance and were careful to give God the glory for sending him to help them. William Bradford writes this, Squanto continued with them and was their interpreter and was a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectations. The pilgrims in turn shared with Squanto the most valuable treasure that they had brought with them from England, the gospel. Cotton Mather reports that Squanto died within a year or two after first coming to the aid of the pilgrims. But before his death, he desired them to pray for him. During that summer of 1621, when it appears that the, appeared that the year's corn harvest would not survive the severe drought, the pilgrims called for a day of fasting and prayer. By the end of the day, it was raining. The rain saved the corn, which miraculously sprang back to life, and one of the Indians who observed this miracle remarked these words. He said, now I see that the Englishman's God is a good God, for he hath heard you and hath sent you rain, and that without such tempest and thunder as we used to have with our rain, which after our uh, pollening for it breaks down the corn, whereas your corn stands whole and good still. Surely your God is a good God." That miraculous corn harvest provided the basis for the pilgrims' first Thanksgiving, a tradition Americans continue to celebrate today. But today, however, our public schools sometimes teach that Thanksgiving Thanksgiving signifies the thanks the pilgrims offered to their Indian neighbors who had helped them, Uh, but it demonstrates that on the first Thanksgiving, I'm sorry, but history demonstrates that on the first Thanksgiving day, the thanks of both pilgrims and Indians went to God for his great goodness toward them. While adventurers came to the new world, uh, the adventurers came to the new world for a number of reasons including commerce. American self-government began in a very large measure because of the desire of these religious dissidents for religious freedom and for a government based upon the laws of God. Americans who learn the true Christian history of America should be very disturbed by the current historical revisionist trend to secularize that history. A biblical faith was the cornerstone of our liberty and remains the key to its continuation. And so again, just a great uh, reminder of of how the nation uh, came into being and and how uh, these pilgrims uh, forged on in what they felt like God had called them to do. And so uh, with that in mind, kind of this as the basis for this, I want to pray and get into uh, these three points tonight. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. And God, we are so grateful. Lord, we could praise you from now until we leave this earth and it wouldn't be enough. Um, Lord, we thank you for all the good good things that you give us, most of all our salvation. Uh, Lord, the grace that you've shed for us, uh, given to us, the blood that was shed for us. Lord, we thank you for uh, not only these great spiritual blessings, but the spiritual blessings on top of that, joy and peace, assurance and and help and and direction, the Holy Spirit, just all these things that you give to us, Lord, we're so thankful for. On top of those things, God, you give us so many physical and earthly and temporal blessings as well. relationships and 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 things on this uh, in this earth that are 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 huge blessings to us and uh, things like this this building that we're in right now lord we're just so thankful for all the great blessings you you give to us and so tonight as we reflect on these pilgrims perspective lord um, lord help us to strive to have these in in our lives as well in our minds Uh, just be glorified tonight and we'll praise you for what you do we ask all this in jesus name amen Um, so I'm excited about tonight because not only do we have, um, looking at this message about these perspectives, uh, I think that it's vital that, um, we, we maintain, but also we're having some baptisms Amen. praise the Lord. So, uh, that was kind of thrown on, uh, last minute or, uh, at the last minute. So, um, I'm excited for that. Point number one is this failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. And I, maybe we could qualify that to say, uh, or it doesn't have to be. Failure doesn't have to be final. Uh, but I would even say this. For the child of God, failure is not final. It doesn't have the final say uh, in, our, in our eternal existence, period. Uh, while we have no or we shouldn't have any tolerance for sin, we all realize in this room, if you're a child of God, we still battle with sin. And so every single person in this room has this battle between the flesh and And the spirit the Bible says that they war against each other Um, and so if you're here and you're human then you've failed you have failed in your Christian walk at some point in time Um, you have fallen but specific specific, specifically I can't talk tonight I'm sorry Um, if you are in a place right now where you have failed or you have fallen you know there's an area of your life that you've you've messed up or you've missed the mark Um, I pray tonight that you won't allow that failure the fall, to have the final say, even, even in this day, uh, even moving forward out of this, uh, because it doesn't have to be. Uh, today you can repent, today you can confess before you even leave this place. It can be something that you do. And when you do that, the king that Rochelle was just singing about praising, the king of all kings will come running to meet you. And that's an amazing blessing to think about. That if we have, if there's something in our life, if there's sin and there's an area in our life that we've fallen short and we know it, that tonight, right now, you can say, God, I'm sorry, you can turn from that sin and the King of all kings, the God of all creation will come running to embrace you and forgive you of that failure, will forgive you of that sin. Uh, what an amazing blessing. You know, if, if there was nothing else that we could praise God about tonight, we should be praising him for, with all of our breath tonight for that truth right there. That God will forgive us the moment we repent of our sins. That he'll come running to us and embrace us and, and welcome us back into that fellowship with him. You know, the hard part for us is the human side of things, right? Because if somebody, if somebody in our life, if we mess up against each other, like if, if, if somebody continues to lie to you, at some point in time you're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to, to have a relationship with you and I'm not going to forgive you. Because you just continue to lie over and over and over. I can't trust you think about this how many times do we fail God and the promises are true that he will forgive us time and time again again scripture tells us when Peter was pressing the Lord about how many times he should forgive his brother if he offended him he said listen if he offends you 70 times I mean 70 times seven in a day forgiving and so again the Lord his, his, his amount or his measure, his capacity to forgive us is immeasurable. And so, again, we have to understand failure is not final. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, for a, for a just man falleth seven times and rises of the, riseth again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Maybe you're hearing it's not necessarily a particular sin that you can put your finger on. You're saying, you know, I don't know that's me, but. Maybe you've gone through you're here and you've gone through some great storms. Maybe you've gone through a great trial. Maybe there's something going on in your life and they've definitely blown you off the course that you thought you were supposed to be on. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe a great illness. Maybe a circumstance, job, maybe something has just come along in your life and it has blown you off the course of what you thought your life was supposed to look like or what you thought you ex- or what you expected your life to be. And it's come along and it's just completely taken you off course. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we define our tragedy or we define our storm that comes and knocks us off the course that we knew was right for us? Isn't it interesting that we define that as a tragedy? That, that, that it's a mistake, that it's bad, it's not good? You know, um, again, we're in temporal vessels and so sometimes we can, we can be brought in and, and to think only in temporal terms uh, but think about these pilgrims. Again, they were on their way uh, to what they thought was Virginia, and they couldn't get there. And, and they could have they could resign to the, to the fact that it was a tragedy. This was messed up. We, we've, we've missed the mark. What are we going to do now? Our lives are going to be over. We're no longer in Virginia. They could have looked at this, this redirection of the course of their life as a mistake or a tragedy. And I believe that sometimes God uses these things to teach us. I believe sometimes he uses the redirection of our lives to bring a greater glory to his name and accomplishing his purpose. You imagine what would have happened if they would have landed in Virginia? I, I, I don't know. All I know is what happened because they landed in Rhode Island. You know, I mean, it could have been, it could have been so much better than what we have now, or it could have been so much worse. You ever think about that? You ever think about if the pilgrims, if if, if their first disembarkation, the the first time that they got off the ship, they didn't have to draft the Mayflower Compact. They didn't have to deal with the circumstances they dealt with. They just walked right into Virginia and started living life, and it just started kind of becoming the next England in this new world. What if it happened like that? Again, we have to remember that there's not one of us here that gave ourselves life. There's nobody in this room that said, you know what? I'm going to come into being right now. Not one of us here in this room could save ourselves. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how much blood we shed, no matter how devoted we were, none of us could save ourselves. And I would even go further and say this. Nobody in this room could do anything in this world that was worthwhile in the scope of eternity if it wasn't for God all gifts of God and all the gifts the the gifts of us being on this earth uh, the gifts of us being able to do anything for his kingdom all are gifts of God and all are for his pleasure and for his purpose and so when we think of our lives like this again we're talking about the pilgrim's perspective when they, they they they're trying to reach Virginia they end up in Cape Cod they could have called it a failure they could have called it a tragedy they could have called it whatever they did but what they saw it as was providence They saw that their lives were in the hands of God, that they were on a divine calling, they were fulfilling a divine calling, and when they landed there in in Cape Cod, they realized, you know what, this must be what God wants from us, and so we're going to continue to press forward in the direction that God's called us, and so again, I don't know what you're going through, or what you've gone through, or even what this week has brought you, or is going to bring you. But I know this, if you've been thrown a curveball, if you're dealing with a, 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 a struggle, if you've been dealing with a storm, and you're looking like, man, this is a failure. My life, what it's supposed to have been, is not that. Then I want to encourage you to surrender even that to the Lord and say, you know what? Maybe it's through this storm. Maybe it's through those sandbars that God is redirecting my life a different direction that a greater glory is going to be brought to his name through my life. And again, that's hard whenever, especially when when we like the idea of what we're going to, and we like the idea of what our life is supposed to look like. I mean, again, for them, they could have said, no, Virginia is already established. Virginia is where we have to be. They could have determined, you know, we're going to land here, but we're going to get to Virginia. But they saw it. You know what? Maybe something else. Maybe God has a better plan than what we had intended ourselves. I think in the midst of all of this, even in the redirection of our lives, we can simply lose sight that as we turn our eyes off of heavenly things and turn them to earthly things, that it's us that go astray. It's not that God has made a mistake. It's not that God has, well, God, you shouldn't have done this. I, 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 I can't live without this person or I can't live without this, this thing or I can't live my life the way I'm supposed to without this. But I'll say this, it's not hard to take that earthly mindset and lose the heavenly mindset when all that we've experienced basically on this earth, other than our salvation and relationship with Christ, is earthly itself. Well, much like the pilgrims, I think that we need to strive, again, maybe a reminder tonight, we need to strive to maintain this right perspective of our lives, that God is sovereign and that God's providence is perfect. What you're dealing with, the storm that you're going through, the redirection that you're facing, the, the struggle, uh, the, the, the life that you're in right now, aside from uh, sinning or, or being out of fellowship with God, if you're in the pursuit of the Lord and, and, and you're going that direction and things just aren't working out the way that they're supposed to work out, and I want to encourage you tonight to resign to that perspective of the, of the pilgrims. And you know what? God is sovereign his providence is perfect what he provides for day to day is perfect i think we got to maintain the perspective that our job is to simply stay faithful to the one who put us here our job is to be faithful to be those vessels hopefully of honor that will accomplish his plan in the short time that we have right here on this earth in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 I love this verse, my life verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So tonight, I want to encourage you. Failure is not final. We cannot quit. You cannot give up. Something's not going your way. Don't stop. Don't, don't pull back. Something changes, a redirection in your life. Don't stop. We can't give up. Again, eternity, the stakes are way too high to quit and to give up. Again, that's what kept the pilgrims going. Makes me wonder, too, what if they would have given up after such tragic losses in that devastating first winter? We, uh, I think it was in 2016. When did we go up there for that fellowship meeting? Was it 2016 or 17? Anyways, we went up there and... and, uh, When when we were kids, we went to Plymouth and we uh, Plymouth Rock and we saw uh, that and we just kind of saw some of that area up there. But recently we went back up there and uh, just listening to some of the accounts in in those areas about that first uh, winter that they went through was is a devastating thing to hear. And they have even graves there up there. They have uh, you know some of the things memorialized. Um, Can you imagine? what would have happened if you were the only one out of all of your family and friends that survived that winter? How would that make you feel? Would you say, listen, I came over here for a better life, and now I have no one. I just want to go back to my home. How tempting would that be, right? How tempting would that be to, to only look at the temple, to only look at, at the the loss of life on this side of heaven to only think in in earthly terms you imagine for all those people who went through that and suffered such catastrophic loss what they were feeling what would have happened if they would have folded shop and said no we came with this many people now there's only this this much left we're going back we can't do it with all these we can't do it with this this little uh people So the question that I have is this, why would they continue? If you were in their situation, which is hard for us to be in their mindset because of what they were leaving and what they were coming to and what their purpose and their calling they felt like uh, it was from God, but why would they continue? If if you were in that place, if they were in that place where they lost everything and everyone they loved, why would they continue forward? Why would they stay? Why would they continue in that direction of what they signed as the Mayflower Compact? And I would would suggest that for every single person that was a part of that, failure wasn't final. For them, failure would not have the last say, but their faith would. Failure would not have the last say, but their faith in God would. They would push on because they believed that God had given them this opportunity. They believed that God had put them in this place and this time to accomplish this plan for his purpose and i believe you and i in 2018 reaping all the benefits of their their early sacrifice and their early devotion and, and, and their early perspective i believe you and i are, are, are reaping all those benefits but i think it's imperative upon us to see our lives just the same i think it's vital That we too have to see that we have this special time in this special place with a special plan to accomplish for Almighty God. I think it's vital for us to do that, to have the right perspective of failure not being final. But point number two is this here here is why failure not being final is so important. Number two, they had as their perspective that freedom's great gift is sharing the gospel being able to share the gospel right did you you hear what they 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 said Uh, the article said that they were they were so excited about the opportunity to evangelize the new world once the mayflower compact was signed once everybody was on board with it they disembarked the ship and they were excited to have this 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 community this colony by which they could go and evangelize the new world what what a what a perspective right They they had this mission that there are people here that have never heard this good news that Jesus Christ died for them and gave the opportunity to every man to be saved. They had this this motivation in their hearts that, man, with this freedom, we can go and teach people about Jesus Christ. I was listening um, uh, just a, a little bit before service about a, and maybe you've heard it before, but it's the first time I heard it. It was uh, about a a young man, a Mormon, who had been converted uh, to Christianity. And he was converted to Christianity with three weeks left in his missionary service as a Mormon. They do two years as a missionary. Uh, he had a scholarship to BYU. His dad was the high priest in the Mormon church. His mom taught at BYU, a private Mormon institution. The their whole family was as Mormon as you could be. And he was uh, on a Mormon mission, and with three weeks left to finish that two-year mission service, he runs into a Baptist preacher. And he, he tried everything within his ability to convert that Baptist preacher to Mormonism and his congregation. But he said that he was, he was talking, he left out of that meeting uh, with that Baptist preacher mad, but what the Baptist preacher told him uh, changed his life forever. You know, he told him about Titus 3, and he told him about uh, Ephesians chapter 2, about God's grace, and, and it not being a religion, and not being works-based. And he talked about the love of God, something that he had never comprehended as a Mormon, knowing that his acceptance to God was solely based on his service to God. The preacher told him as he was leaving, I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you one thing. Go home and read your Bible, and read it with the heart of a little child. Approach it like you're a child And read it like that And he said he would He started in the New Testament began to pour in the New Testament and read that and, and God began to wash him With the word he said And his life was radically changed Got saved I don't want to ruin the video for you If you come across it you can look it up uh, But it's, it's I mean I was in tears It is a phenomenal testimony Of the gospel of Jesus Christ Radically changing people's lives but it's such, a free, it's such a blessing to have the freedom to share it. One of freedom's greatest gifts is the fact that we can share this gospel. Again, these pilgrims had this in their perspective. Man, we're leaving this, this oppression of, uh, of the state church. We're, we're leaving behind legalism and we're entering into liberty. And the greatest of all gifts that liberty is going to afford to us is the freedom, the gift of sharing the gospel to people that are in need. I'm glad the mission that Christ gave to us to accomplish while he was away is simple, right? Because how easily do, do we get distracted? I know I can get easy, I know I'm easily distracted. I know many people that, um, I don't know that they're actually diagnosed with ADHD, uh, but because of the busyness of this world, I think that they could say they have that just because uh, the, the, our thoughts are so uh, here, there, and everywhere. That's why I'm so thankful that Christ gave to us a mission that was simple. Hey, I'm going to go away, and while I'm away, I want you to do this. So many people have, even in the church, made the mission something that it's not. We have this great commission, this great purpose for the king, for the king of kings. A call, a commandment, as his representatives, we're to take care of this until he returns. Take care of this commission. Accomplish this mission so that his house is full. There's going to be those who we know, they won't come. He says, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel those others to come in. And when his house is still not not full, we're to go to the poor and the lame and the blind, to those in need. Luke chapter 14, I love this. Uh, story that Christ gave. He says then he said it unto him uh, said he unto him a certain man made a great supper and bade many and he sent his servants at supper time for to say to them that were bidden come because everything's now ready. They all with one consent began to make excuse. You know this first said I bought a piece of ground and I have to go and see it. Makes no sense poor excuse. I've purchased land and I haven't even seen it yet. (laughs) I pray thee so excuse me. Number 19. Another said, "I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go test them out." Another ridiculous excuse: "I've bought five oxen that are supposed to work, but I don't know that they work yet. I got to try them out." Verse twenty: Another said, "I've married a wife, and I therefore cannot come." Which has always been such a humorous thing to me, for as long as I have been in ministry. <laughs> like, there's no other explanation beyond, "I've married a wife, and I can't come." right and she said uh, I got stuff for you to do and she said you know you need to be with me like there's nothing else it's just I married a wife and I can't come um, and so that the servant came and showed his lord these things and the master of the house being angry said to servant go out quickly in the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor the maimed the halt and the blind and the servant said lord it's done as you have commanded and yet there's still room and the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that, that, that my house may be filled. That's what God's desire is. For I say unto you that, no, uh, that, that none of those men which are bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went out great multitudes with him and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You hear what, that, what he just said? Unless you love him more than you love anybody else, including yourself, you can't be a follower of Christ. Isn't that different than than what some people come to uh, supposed to be salvation in their life? Right? Because some people, they they hear this message right here. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again three days later. And if you believe that, just simply pray this prayer. Ask God to forgive your sins. Ask Jesus to come to your heart, and you'll go to heaven forever right? That's what so many people ha- have heard, even maybe as a little kid. And, and what, a, what a drastic contrast that is from what Jesus just said. Jesus said this, look, here's the deal. Unless you love me, unless you're more devoted to me, unless your life is, is more in my hands and it's given over to me 100%, it has to be such that there's a, 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 a comparison of love-hate. You've got to love less every other person, including yourself. Love less than me. And then he begins to explain, because here's the deal. Who, who sits down to build a tower and doesn't count the cost first? Listen, it's going to cost this much. It's going to cost Everything. Whether he has sufficient to finish it, less happily after he had laid the foundation, is not able to finish it. And everybody begins to look at him and mock him, saying, this man began to build, but he's not able to finish. What king going to make war against another sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000 or else, while the other is a great way, a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has cannot be my disciple. We need to make sure that when we're telling people about being a Christian and how to be saved and giving them the gospel, that this is the understanding of what faith is that they have, because that's what Jesus is explaining. This is what faith looks like. Whenever you leave behind the control, whenever you leave behind what what you have to embrace fully him and what he has. And he says this, salt's good, but if it's lost its savor, if it's lost it's, its effectiveness, Wherewith shall it be seasoned? How, how, what is it, what's its use? It's not even fit for the land as fertilizer or dunghill, but men cast it out. And then it says this, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke chapter five, verse 31, Jesus answering said to him, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want to ask you this question. Can you imagine a life where you couldn't share the gospel if you wanted to? Could you imagine living a life that, where you couldn't share the gospel if you wanted to? And here's the struggle today. Many professing Christians live that life already and yet can share it freely. In the vision that drove many of these pilgrims to be steadfast in reaching the new world to keep going through the many trials and the attacks, to to, to not let failure be final, to to be blown off course of Virginia, to go to to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, the, the vision that kept them driving through storms and loss, the fact that they had to was because it was the vision of the gift of freedom to share the gospel with an unreached people, to share the gospel with people that were in darkness, that's what was driving them. Ultimately, this led to point number three. It led them to be resigned to the fact that fruit is determined by God. Fruit is determined by God. When you realize every good gift, come, gift comes from God, then you can give proper thanks. You can live a life of gratitude. You can, you can offer to God a life of gratitude. The Bible says, enter into his, courts with thanksgi- into his presence with thanksgiving and thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We we can have this life filled with gratitude when we realize it's all about God. It's all about his kingdom. When your perspective of what you have is right, then you can live that life with an attitude of gratitude and not a life of entitlement. See, I think that's where a lot of even Christians today really get off course. And maybe I'm talking to you tonight. Maybe you're here. and and maybe you're a little bit bitter about what you're dealing with or what you're going through or what your circumstances are. And right now, you, you, you don't maybe want to admit it, but maybe you're living with a little bit of an entitlement. You look on what others have and what you don't have, temporally speaking, and you begin to assume that you deserve the same thing as other people. So many factors to consider in this. So I want to encourage you with this. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, you know, no, I, I, we're, we're struggling right now, but we still thank God. We're, we're dealing with some, some financial struggles right now, but we still thank God for everything we have. Or maybe not. Maybe you're on the other side, and, and God has blessed you financially. So you know what? We're just so thankful for God uh, in the many blessings that he's given us. And, and living with that right perspective uh, of every good gift is from God. Living with that, the attitude of gratitude, not an attitude of entitlement. Here's something to consider, though, if you are. If you're struggling, you look at what other people have and what you don't have. Here's something to consider. Number one, you aren't them. That's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. We look at what somebody is, and it seems like maybe they don't have any problems in their life. They don't have any financial struggles in their life. And we see them, and we say, man... I serve God just as much as them. I'm trying to live right just as much as them. Let's just remember that we are not them. Secondly, you haven't walked the road that they've walked. And you say, that's what part of my problem is, is, is the road they walk has been just a, a bed of roses, and the road that I've walked has been nothing but struggle and problems. That's your perspective. You you haven't walked the road that they've walked. Thirdly, maybe you haven't stewarded the same as they have stewarded what God has blessed them with. You aren't them, you haven't walked the road they've walked, and you haven't necessarily stewarded the same. Fourthly, God gives to every man according to the measure of grace that he determines. Some people he entrusts with much, some people he entrusts with little. We are to be faithful with what God entrusts us with. We are to steward it. If, if God has blessed you with much, you're going to be accountable for much. If God has blessed you with little, you're going to be accountable with little. Each person will receive the same reward according to the measure of grace that God has given. Right? Jesus gives the, the story uh, even uh, of those who are added to the kingdom at certain points in time, but he, he illustrates it with a man who, who, who tells this first person, hey, I'm going to pay you whatever, a penny, uh, at the very beginning of the day, works eight hours. A guy comes at it, uh, comes middle of the day, I'm going to pay you a penny, work half a day. guy later in the day, I'm going to pay you a penny for just a couple of hours of work. And when he goes, and he, they all line up, and he gives them all the same amount. The one who worked for him all day long complains and says, whoa, I've been working all day long. And that guy's only been working for a little bit. How is it that we're getting the same exact pay? And the story was this. Didn't I tell you I was going to pay you what I paid you at the end? And I paid it to you. And sometimes, again, we, we look at what others have or what we don't have, and we, we, we miss out on them. Again, if we go back to the pilgrims and, and, and think about the losses that they suffered there in that first tragic winter. Can you imagine, though, that, 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 that woman who, who had a strong husband, who had four or five kids, who who everything seemed to be great for them new world new life new adventure new opportunity to serve God i mean amazing opportunities and then boom first winter everybody's gone all her kids her husband dreams life joy everything's gone and next to her little house is her close friend Whose husband wasn't as strong as her husband. Whose kids weren't as talented and as smart as her kids. And they all survive. And they all thrive. Say, well, listen. God has given to each one of us a measure of grace. He's given to us gifts. He's given to us responsibilities that we're to steward. That's an alert. I know. No, you're good. But we have to understand that God gives to every person a measure of grace that he determines. The fifth thing is this. It's better to have eternal riches than earthly riches. So if you're looking at what somebody has and what you don't have, remember this. It's better to have eternal riches, right? You can look at your neighbor and they have everything in the world. they have all these things, all these possessions, and their life looks so fun and enjoyable because everything they have, and at the end of their life, maybe have nothing. Where you serve the Lord even with your little. And for all of eternity, all of eternity, do you have rewards? There's no comparison. I mean, what, what is it that you, you graduate high school, 18 years old, or, or, and, and you become uh, successful in your career uh, around 25 or 30 or whatever, and, and for 30 years or 40 years, you have some cool things, you have a cool life, but then at the end of that, it's gone. Final. Done. No more. You don't get it. But somebody who labors and doesn't have very much in this world, labors for the Lord and seeks God's face and and serves and uses the freedom to share the gospel and and does all these things and stores up treasures and riches in heaven. When their 30 or 40 years of of adulthood or on this life are over, for all of eternity, not for another 30 or 40 years, but for all of eternity, their works do follow them. The sixth thing is this to remember in this, earthly riches can be a distraction. Uh, Jesus said it's it's difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven because there's such a great distraction with with riches. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. The more you're required to steward. And so, so many people in this world, that's the American dream that the, the enemy has cast at us. The American dream for the pilgrims looked a little bit different. I think they were looking for some prosperity and some things but the American dream for them was an opportunity also to, to share the gospel with those in need. And for us today, the American dream looks like, I'm going to work really hard, have a lot of stuff, and at the end of my work career, be able to retire, sit back, and not do anything until I die. When that is absolutely not the biblical model of what our life's supposed to look like. We are to run the race. We are to finish the course. We are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord until he calls us home. I'm not saying that there there doesn't come a time where in your your physical abilities that you can't work anymore. But So many people live their lives to where they can just stop and stop everything. Again, we see the pilgrims determined to make this Mayflower Compact. We saw that they realized the danger there was for some losing focus of what the purpose was. Some of them wanted just the good life, to leave the old world behind, to to have this new world. But they realized that they needed to work together. They needed to trust God to do what only He could do. I want to encourage you tonight, as we wrap this up. Remember what we saw Sunday. We obey, we operate in faith. And in doing so, when we we live our lives like that, then we open up the door for the Lord to do things that only he can do. And I believe that's what we see with the pilgrims. Failure wasn't final. They said, you know what, we're going to do this, we're gonna be steadfast, we're not going to waver. And because they did that, the Lord did something beyond what they could, I believe, imagine. I believe they envisioned something for America I honestly don't think that they could see what we're experiencing today. I mean, they're talking about flying cars, right? It took them 66 days to cross the ocean. We're talking about flying cars. The the gospel has reached from America, not just has come to America that they were excited to share with, but the gospel from America has gone to just about every corner of the known world. I don't know that they could have envisioned that. That's what I'm saying though because they resign themselves to these things to have this perspective and to live this life out I believe God did something through them That only he could do and so this Thanksgiving. I want to encourage us. Let's strive to have a pilgrim's perspective Let's remember that as a pilgrim. We're just passing through As a pilgrim as an ambassador. We've been entrusted with great responsibility They they had this perspective. Let us have their perspective that we're on an eternal mission that we have just a short while to accomplish this. And not only that, but as they did have this perspective, we need to remember that future generations depend on us holding to the truth that failure isn't final. Freedom's great gift is sharing the gospel. And fruit is determined by God. And so if we'll remember that and keep that perspective, I think God will do something beyond what we can imagine. I think that we can also help uh, keep that attitude of gratitude during this Thanksgiving. And... um, I hope that that's what we do. So uh, I want to ask you to stand tonight, and let's pray, and we'll be able to uh, respond to the word. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, this opportunity uh, that we have uh, to gather tonight. Uh, Lord, this week that we've set aside to, um, and specifically on Thursday, to give thanks, Lord. Um, Lord, from that first Thanksgiving where the uh, the pilgrims sat down and gave thanks to you uh, for your work, for your provision, for your providence lord um, lord help us do the same help us to have in, in mind not just the temporal things that you've blessed us with not just uh, our, our our family and our friends and the the temporal blessings that we have but lord this thanksgiving help us be more grateful for the great spiritual blessings that you've given us than we ever have before help us to be so thankful for our salvation for the the opportunity to freely share the gospel Lord, th- help us be so thankful uh, for the 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 joy and the peace and the hope that you give us, Lord, help us to be thankful for those things uh, this Thanksgiving, Lord. And pray that you just move now. Help us respond rightly in Jesus' name.